are reviewing The Northmen. So, uh, so see, tell me, uh, what's, uh, what's your uh, relationship with Vikings? <laughs> well, I have always been fascinated with them for many years. I've uh, read a couple of books on them. I did a few history uh, assignments in high school and middle school on them. I even, um, so I went, to, I went to an arts high school and at one point we had to design, do drawings and designs for uh, alternative costumes for a Shakespeare play. And I chose <clears throat> to do a Viking version of, which one was it? It was, fudge, um, King Lear. I chose to do a Viking version of King Lear. Uh, but that's beside the point. My point is, um, also I've read a book called The Long Ships, which hi I highly recommend, by the way. Point is, I'm very familiar uh, and interested in Viking culture. Okay, okay. So I don't really have a, much of a relationship with uh, Vikings. Um, oh, I also watched the first two, well, one and a half seasons of the History Channel shows, or no, was it History Channel? Yeah, it was no? History Channel. History Channel's uh, Vikings. The first season's great, and then the first, and then it gets bad pretty quickly. But it starts off pretty good. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't really have a relationship with Vikings. Um, I would, I would say that I maybe saw once or twice some shows on History Channel or Discovery about Vikings. Uh, in middle school, high school, I did read a lot of Nordic. Uh, Nordic mythology, uh, because I went through a phase where I was just interested in all types of mythology. And the Nordic one was actually the most inaccessible because whereas the other mythologies like Egyptian, Greek, Roman, they at least had uh, uh, like you understood the motivations of the gods. Mm -hmm. In Nordic mythology, you're like, so all you guys fight and you all die and this is a good thing. And it was kind of hard to relate. Now, um, I will add, we all have a little bit of a relationship with Nordic mythology because of Marvel's Thor. We all have that relationship. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's true. Um, I would say, like, the original Thor attempted, I'm not saying it succeeded, but it, it did attempt to, like, bridge the comic bookiness of the Marvel Comics Thor with kind of this this Shakespearean element of, of the Nordic mythology. And I know that sounds really weird to say, but just remember Shakespeare actually took from the story, from this story. So the Northman is an adaptation of the story of Amleth, which is found in a, in a ancient, ancient book discussing the, the ancient history of Denmark. And mm -hmm. I, I doubt Shakespeare ever read the book, but he probably heard of it. And he decided to make that the basis for his play Hamlet. So in a weird way, when Kenneth Branagh directed Thor, it kind of went back full circle. It went like, okay, we're going to turn this story about Norse gods Shakespearean after Shakespeare had done that himself. I'll also add that the only other story on Norse life that's more famous than Amlet is the one and only Beowulf. Uh, Beowulf's more well actually yeah you're right no you're it's right. Norse it's okay it's I understand it wasn't written by Nordic people. Um, Although, I don't know, if, was Amleth? Do we know if it was written by Nordic? Am Amleth was written by this guy named Saxo Grammaticus, who was a monk in Denmark. Okay. Um, so Beowulf 
is Germanic, but Germanic and Scandinavian have like a line that connects them. So yeah, they they probably would have heard of Beowulf, definitely. Uh, and there, there there are some Viking references to Beowulf yeah, in Beowulf. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no. Um, so we don't really. So I guess you and I both don't have like an obsessive connection with uh, Scandinavian mythology, Nordic mythology. But let me ask you this. Uh, what are your thoughts on the writer-director of this picture, uh, Robert Eggers? Roger, Roger Eggers is a fascinating director. He's also a very lucky director because he's been able to, to lately really make the movies he's wanted to make. Because, one second, <clears throat> he's really been able to make the movies he wants to make because he knows how to stretch a dollar, you can tell, very mm -hmm. efficiently. But he's been very lucky. For those of you who don't know, his most known movies, which everything prior to this were just shorts he made. Uh, his other two features were The Lighthouse, which got a lot of huge critical acclaim and has often been cited as a, the movie the Oscars missed that year. Although, granted, there were quite a few movies that the Oscars missed that year. But that's a whole different thing. Uh, and before that, he made a movie called The Witch, which... Uh, Stephen King said was the scariest movie he had seen in over a decade. And he kind of, you can argue that he discovered Anya, Anya Taylor-Joy. <laughs> oh, he very, it, basically it was him and uh, the guy who directs Peaky Blinders sort of simultaneously discovered Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah, so so I, I've not seen The Witch. I've seen bits and pieces of it. Uh, I've seen like the worst part of the movie, which happens like right at the beginning. Oof, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, when you say the worst, it's the most grotesque part of yeah, the movie. Yeah, the most grotesque. The most visually uh, grotesque part of the movie. Can I also, I'm sorry to interrupt. Let me also add, when I saw The Witch, I actually, so I've seen all three of his movies in theaters over the years. Mm -hmm. And all of them, I've, I've never seen any of them alone because I saw The Witch with two friends of ours that we both know. And then... Uh, the lighthouse I saw with you, I saw twice actually. I saw once by myself, and then I took you and our friend Jay with us yeah. to see it again. Yeah, yeah. And then you and I just saw this one together. Mm -hmm. But where was I going with this? Damn it. But you know what, folks, you just caught me in a bit of a, a funk. I don't remember where I was going with that. Anyways, let's go on. All right, cool. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, I the one thing I'd like to add before we watch the trailer is that, uh, as you mentioned, that I saw the lighthouse. I, I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it like everyone else did. I, I found it a little out there. So. Oh my god! I'm sorry. I just remembered the thing. So when I saw the witch in theaters. The Witch, I think, for me, is pretty inaccessible in its own right. And I'm sorry mm -hmm. I'm sorry for interrupting you. We'll get back to what you were saying. It's pretty inaccessible because it's basically taking all of these, these weird stories that were going around in early colonial America. But the ending is very, very strange and a little arthousey and a little, just a little weird. Mm -hmm. um, again, it has its merits and it has its strong moments. But overall, it's just a little weak at the end. Mm -hmm. When the when the movie ends and the credits start to roll, there's one other person in the theater. And as the credit rolls, we just hear the man go, man, that's some bullshit. <laughs> and, then, and I just remember literally laughing at that because I was like, you know what? I feel the same way, buddy. I don't know you, but I kind of feel the same way. 
Yeah. All right. So uh, actually, so all I was going to say about the lighthouse is that I was a little like, okay, it, it's weird and it's out there, but I, I wasn't like in love with it. And that was kind of my worry with this film that I was, it was going to be weird and out there and I wasn't going to love it. But uh, let, let's save that for the review right now. Let's watch the, uh, let's watch the trailer. Now, behold. He's here. The king, my lady. The king. Your fate is set, and you cannot escape it. How oh, I've missed you, my son. One day, this kingdom will be yours. Thank you, father. My king. Yeah, that's uh that's a trailer i would say <laughs> that's a re that's a man trailer i'm sorry no that's a real trailer <laughs> okay okay so uh so see let's start with you um mm. well actually let me let me just so like like i said it stated earlier before this is an adaptation of the story of amleth which is one of the oldest uh, danish legends uh in in the history of the country and the in the history of that people so amleth uh, he, uh, he basically as a child, his father comes back from war and his father basically tells him, Hey, I'm my, my time, my time is almost up. So I'm going to kind of make you go through this, uh, this rite of passage so that you can be set up to be the, the next, uh, the next King. Cause I don't think I'm going to last long. He, he was wounded from a previous war. Well, after he goes through the rite of passage, uh, his uncle who, uh, is actually a bastard brother of his dad kills his dad kills the king played by uh, Ethan Hawke and 
<laughs> Let, let's just say he usurps the throne and uh, our young protagonist Amleth runs away because he doesn't want to be killed by his uncle and he grows up amongst this uh, this company of berserker Vikings and I literally we mean, mean berserker, berserker we mean berserker like like the actual berserkers so quick history lesson there were there were uh, squads of Vikings where their whole thing was like before a battle they would take drugs, hallucinogens, work themselves up to a frenzy, and basically during the attack, they were, they would basically do like, they they they, they basically massacred anyone who was in their way. They'd act like animals once they got into the town. Yeah, um, they're they're where they developed the terrifying reputation that Vikings had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So. So he becomes a berserker and he finds out that his uncle himself lost the throne to uh, to the most infamous of Nordic kings, uh, Harold uh, Fairhair. And now he's trying to establish a new kingdom in Iceland. And he decides, you know what, I'm going to sneak into his kingdom as a, or to his new tribe as a slave. And I am going to finally kill this son of a gun. Mm-hmm. And again, this is one of the most... Oldest, and just, and just to make it clear, I don't, I don't know if you said this, but basically, his uncle is now gone to Iceland with a new brigade to try to try to start a new kingdom there. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is again, this is one of the oldest Danish legends, mythologies uh, of of that people. And William Shakespeare somehow heard about this, and he eventually used it as a basis for Hamlet, as we mentioned earlier in this podcast. So, in this film, directed by Robert Eggers, uh, Hamlet. For those of you who wonder the story of Hamlet, a shame on you, or b. I, I, just I, I, the, uh, or see, b, I, I think they know Hamlet. Or <laughs> what I was going to say is, if you're really young and you haven't gotten to that part of his of English class that makes you read it. Just watch The Lion King, and it's the same story. Uh, I, I would say if there's young people listening to this podcast, shame on you, because we do a lot of cursing here. And Correct. Yeah, so shame on you, parents. But anyway, Amleth is played by Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, his father, King Ar- Arvandil Warraven, is played by Ethan Hawke. His mother's played by uh, Nicole Kidman. Uh, his uncle, Fjolnir, Fjolnir is played by... Uh, I believe Swedish actor, uh, oh no, Danish actor, my mistake, Clay's Bang, who a lot of people would know as the lead in the film uh, The Square. Uh, he also, I believe, plays Dracula in the Netflix version of Dracula, I believe. Oh, okay. I didn't know I, that. I, I, yeah, no, yeah, that's him. He plays Dracula in Netflix's Dracula. Ugh, I say that many times. Uh, Willem Dafoe has a bit role as Hemir the Fool. Bjork has a role as a witch, and then I uh, love that they cast her as the witch too. She did a fantastic job. No, she 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 was really good. And uh, Anya Taylor Joy plays uh, Amlet's uh, love interest, Olga of the Birch Forest. So, uh, where to begin with this film? See, where 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 would you begin with this film? Okay, so. When I walked out of the theater, the first thought I had about this movie was this film is unapologetic. Like, that's that's the word that keeps ringing in my head. It's unapologetic. and Because it depicts this story of revenge and does not pretend for 90% of the movie to be a story about anything else. 
and it works. You buy it. You accept it. You, you don't need anything more than that. Yes, it adds a little bit more the, to the end of the story, which we'll get into later, and that certainly helps the movie even more. But for 90% of this movie, it is just a brutal story of revenge. And I loved every minute of it while watching it. I really did. The, the setting of the movie was fantastic. I'll just use the term broadly as set pieces were amazing. Um, well, Al, what was the budget of this? $90 million. He took that $90 million and really did some incredible stuff with it. Like, truly, fully, 100% remarkable stuff with that. Like, it's shocking how good they did that. Um, because there are, I'd say, five or seven really rich, beautiful sequences that are just a visual pleasure to watch, without a doubt. And then, yeah, you see these other moments where clearly the budget isn't as big, but it, they, it still doesn't compromise on the look of the film. You mm -hmm. accept these lesser moments because these five to seven gorgeous set pieces are used so perfectly. Um, so I think the great contrast with the simplicity of the revenge tale and the boldness of its set pieces slash vision really worked well with this movie. It was unapologetic, it knew what it was, and it moved forward at a pace that was easy for anyone. Yeah, so uh, like C has alluded to, this tale of revenge is one of the oldest, if not the oldest example of a revenge tale in in human history. Yeah, like, as far like as we the, know. Yeah, as far as we know. And, you know, we have seen so many revenge stories, you know, in, in many types of genres that like and, and we saw this with um, like like 12 years ago with uh, John Carter of Mars. Right. The guy going out is the space adventure story, mm. right? Uh, John Carter is considered by many to be the first story set in space, right? Or set in a different planet. Mm -hmm. And the movie didn't come out until 2010, uh, almost 100 years after it was first published as an Edgar Rice Burroughs book. And when people came out to it, they were like, well, this is derivative. Ironic, considering that the, every, the things everyone was accusing it of being derivative of. It created. It created, right? But because it was... It was it was such a long gap and uh, listen n not to bash on the director Andrew Stratton but like when the direction is not compelling when the when the performances are not compelling people are just gonna look at the story and they're gonna and if it's an old story they're gonna say well I've seen this hundreds of times before mm -hmm. so with something like this where the story is is such a such like everyone knows the tropes the tropes the cliches of the revenge tale everybody everybody that me see uh the listener the listener's parents the listener's grandparents we all know the cliches and the tropes of the of the, the NSA revenge. listening to this yeah the NSA. <laughs> listen agent, okay, okay. Number, agent number 752 i'm sorry we're boring you to death i'm so I, sorry I, I know i know please write um, us in agent 572 yeah. So, <laughs> so when you um, when you have a story where we know this this type of story inside out, it really is depending on the direction, on the performances, on the artistic choices that this that this 
that this uh, film makes to keep you engaged. And Robert Eggers does a bang job of directing his actors, of setting up his shots, of of framing framing uh, framing the action, uh, great editing choices like. This film, on a technical level, is astounding because th this really feels like it had a budget of of at least sixty million dollars more. It really does. It you is. Know, this, this looks like a. Uh, I, I assumed when I saw this that this was a two hundred and fifty million dollar budget movie. I really did. Mm -hmm. Because where they because they shot on location or as much as they could on location and where they didn't they built actual fucking sets and then they used pretty impressive cgi when necessary so when look and they not that they had the most a-list actors but nicole kidman for fuck's sake was in this like that's she's a big actress and alexander skarsgård is he's not the biggest actor in the world but he demands a hefty price I, so like I, I would say anya taylor joy is a-list no oh yeah anya, you're Al, you are absolutely right. Anya Taylor-Joy is A-list. So he brought all these big people in and made it look so good and shot it on location. I was like, oh, this is $250 million, I assumed. I just like, I. the only reason why I didn't go higher was because of the moments I mentioned where it goes into a bit of a lull and you're like, okay, you can see they're not using actually too much of a set piece here. So this is where it's a little lower. But when you tell me that this movie was made for $90 million, oh, if I'm Hollywood, I'm going to them and be like, what do you want to make? Yeah. What do you want to do? No, exactly. Um, and we actually talked about this with another film, uh, Michael Bay's Ambulance, which was shot for, what, 40 to $60 million, but mm -hmm. looks like a $200 million movie. Um, I, I, I really love that. You know, I will admit, though, this one pushes that boundary much further than Ambulance. Well, uh, uh, of course, of course, it's because it's a it's a it's a fantasy. P it's a period, period piece. piece. Yeah. Right. You know, the, their, their actual sets. What I love about this film and I, I'm going to kind of get into character and I'm going to get into direction and performance. What I love about this film is that, th again, this is a fantasy epic taking place during uh this is like sword and sandal fantasy epic right mm -hmm. uh, it's very easy for films like this and i have seen some films do this where they go the marvel route and everything's basically shot in a back lot or on a sound stage and everything is green screened in that this uh, this seems to be like a growing trend for hollywood films where instead of building a set they just want to render a set and that's disappointing. And me and C have talked about this multiple times off air, but it, mm -hmm. it is something that's always discouraging because my, and C, I know you'll agree. There is just nothing better than to see like an actual, like in real life set in a film because it feels real. It oh, weighs 100%, real. It's 100%. Hell, give me a model before you give me CGI any day of the fucking week. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Give me and, an animatronic before you do that. Like, yeah, there's something about the tactile texture. Yes, that yes. I, re I register as more interesting. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, totally. And, and also one day I'll get into why I prefer film over digital, but that's a different discussion. Yeah, too. exactly. So so I just I, I on a technical level, I, I really, really appreciate this film because, yes, is this a story you've heard before? Yes. Hundreds of times, thousands of times over. This was one of the first ones to do it. That's that's what that's why it's so famous. Um, but the fact that you're captivated by the performance, like, you know where this story is going to go. You know how revenge stories end. Um, mm -hmm. The performances in this where 
listen, Alexander Skarsgård, like C have mentioned before, he's not an A-list actor. He's a solid B-list actor. Mm-hmm. But my God, does that man have presence. So Alexander Skarsgård, like most of the Skarsgård siblings, is a tall man. Is a mm-hmm. tall uh, Swedish man, if I'm not mistaken. And boy, does he take advantage of just that height he has. That no, he that, is an imposing. He has an imposing figure. Yes, this is this is one of the most physical. Oh, real role. quick, I've I've seen him in real life. Like I was at, and I I won't get too specific, but I was at an after party of a film festival that he was invited to, and I saw him. And trust me. When you see him in person, it's oh fuck, you're really fucking tall. Yeah, you you My think God. like you think like he's a basketball player. <laughs> but no, he's got these. But the other thing too is, and this is gonna sound weird, I saw him hanging around at the bar at this after party, and he was literally he had to lean on the bar with one of his arms kind of on the side mm-hmm. because his shoulders were so fucking broad that if he like went all the way, he'd be making too much space. That, it's all that uh, surstroming that they eat in Sweden. That's I what guess. it is. Puts hair on your chest and makes you massive. But no, Alexander Skarsgård, his performance, not a lot in terms of dialogue. Like, he doesn't really have a monologue in this film. No. But all his acting he does with his body. He does with, with just how he imposes himself on the screen. It's, it's how a... Ra- how rarely he fucking blinks. That's yeah. something I've noticed. He doesn't blink a lot in this movie and it's crazy. He does all his acting with how like he shifts his shoulders, how he shifts his weight, the way his eyes move. It's 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 a sight to behold. Again, like uh, did you ever see the the like one of the early times he did a blockbuster uh 2016's uh Tarzan? Uh I've never seen it, no. Okay, so I've seen bits and pieces of it. And, you know, you see him trying to do that, like working with his body, you know, trying to trying to get his performance out there, his body because he doesn't say as many lines. Uh, it doesn't work quite well that there. He just seems kind of just like this quiet guy. And he does it again in mute. But it's a lot better in mute because he's not being over exaggerating. You know, he's, he's playing just a mute guy. I but also want to add, he actually pulls this off up until now. He pulled it and people don't laugh, audience. But I used to watch the show True Blood, which is how he kind of developed a name for himself. Um, And he actually has a pretty imposing figure in that show as well. Also, real quick, do you know what his first uh, American performance was? It was a very small role, but do you know what it was? Uh, No, I don't. He was one of the... He was one of Zoolander's friends that died in the car crash. That's right. He's one of them. Oh my god! <laughs> he said it was an absolute like he admits he did. He his English was a little rough at that time, but mm-hmm. he said he not only had an amazing time with that role and like it was so much fun being that, but he also mentioned that it warped his perspective of how hard it was to make it in the industry because he landed something so big so suddenly. <laughs> I mean, well, look who his dad is. That's true. That's true. For those that don't know, his dad is critically acclaimed Swedish actor Stellan Skarsgård. Legendary actor. Yeah. Um, okay, so Ale- Alexander Skarsgård, you know, doesn't talk a lot, but all the performance he does with his eyes, and he- he's able to switch. F- so, again, early on in the film, we find out that after he ran away from home, he literally be- joined a-, a troop of berserkers. Mm-hmm. And to me, the sequence where the berserkers invade and take over this, this uh, town town of, of Slavic people in uh, what it would n- now be modern day Russia mm-hmm. um, it's it's intense and, oh, it's, and it, it lets you know what this movie's about in 10 it, it, it lets you know what this movie's about his performance like again it's these 
these giant massive vikings like with with uh with uh wolf pelts mm. like obviously high off some hallucinogen just yeah. they're not shouting they're roaring roaring they're so hopped up on whatever drug they're on that they're able to catch spears in midair and throw them back that was an amazing sequence and um end. and the just the beast the beast element of his character the the feralness like alexander skarsgård like just plays it so perfectly and mm -hmm. then he has to turn it off he has to turn it off he has to he has to be amleth again not the berserker amleth and he does the switch so well so smoothly that i i was i was just so impressed um mm -hmm. something you touched upon c and we'll, we'll talk about other characters. And I know sometimes our discussions are so like fragmented, but something that I feel like we it should compels also... Them, it compels the audience to see the movie. That is true. That is very true. Uh, something you talked about, C, is... And something that I really appreciated of, of the film. Um, and, I, and I think audiences will too. See, like you mentioned, this film is unapologetic about the Viking society. And that's both the majesty of of their culture of their of their way of life mm -hmm. and their also, belief system and their belief system but also just the unrepentant brutality of it all oh, yeah. Th this movie you know and there's also something we need to talk about about the accessibility of this movie but this film will be a hard watch for anyone who you know finds things like like human slavery, um, the kind of the, the blase. So, the, okay, go on, I'm sorry. So human slavery, uh, human slaughter, just the ugliness of war between uh, Scandinavian and Slavic peoples. It, it, it would be a hard watch. Not to get into it, but there's a scene very early in the film, like maybe in the first, what, 20 minutes, maybe 15 minutes? Yeah. Where... The, the invading force of this Slavic tribe, of which Anya Taylor-Joy's character Olga lives there, they basically commit some brutal acts of, of slaughter against the, the conquered people that they don't see as good enough for slavery. And it's, it's when that happens, you're like, oh, Jesus, they're really going to do this. Yeah, and the, the characters treat it as something you know expected something that's like the the conquering vikings are like well yeah this is this is how it's done now and to be clear alexander scott or uh, amlet he is not specifically doing some of the most horrible things because i think the director knew i can't make him do the worst 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 of the worst things because then no one will see him as sympathetic but mm -hmm. he's right fucking there and doesn't give a fuck while it's going on because it's expected you know yeah. he, he knows that oh th this they would do it to us if they if they conquered us you know mm -hmm. and that just unflinching honesty over what the viking people were it, it to the credit to the film you know um it's it it shows you how they how they lived both the good and the bad and it's unflinching about it and just that refreshing that refreshing sense of like let's not try to you know this is an r-rated film let's not try to dilute what they were you know I what also, their people were i also want to add so at one point alexander skarsgård's character uh is talking with a much older uh, berserker 
who is kind of like, he's got a long white beard. He looked a little familiar, but I couldn't place him. And the way he acted when they had won the battle and they were then committing the atrocities that they were committing, he was sort of acting as if he just got back from a good hunt. You know what I yeah. mean? No, like, yeah. And that was very freaky to watch that. You're like, oh, Jesus. But like, he was just like, he was very prideful of what he had achieved in his life. He had a nice, he had this really nice uh, leather armor of some kind. And mm-hmm. like, you can, t- he was just proud to have been s- around this berserker lifestyle for so long. Mm-hmm. But like, the way, the fact that, and you could tell he was some sort of a leader, I guess. But the fact that for him, it was just, this was a hunt we committed and we won and it was a good day. And I'm going to think on this for a while. You're like, oh, my God, that's so yeah. that's so fucked but honest. Yeah. And, you know, that's so refreshing because so, so many times films, you know, they want to tell compelling stories, but they don't want to show compelling situations. They don't want to we don't want to show you kind of the true to life way of of how these figures lived. And uh, a credit to this film that it, it doesn't want to just hold our hand and be like, oh, see, we're, we're not going to have you have a hard time watching this and and here's the thing people for me personally this was this was not a hard movie to watch just because you know in my point of view i know how viking culture operated and you know i accept it and you know i also understand that just because it happens doesn't necessarily mean the film is endorsing it you know it just mm-hmm. it just sh- it's showing you what it is both the good and the bad and mm-hmm. i feel many times and i don't know if you'll agree with me on this see i feel a lot of times films just don't want to put the audience in that uncomfortable zone of like they're showing me something i don't want to see um is the film like reveling in this but it's not i don't think it is if, if i would add i think these days you get movies that either do not acknowledge it at all or they revel in it this movie didn't revel in it if it reveled in its violence i would not be as interested i don't like when movies revel in their violence but this movie just here it is this is what it is and mm-hmm. we're moving we're, we're we're going forward with what the facts are mm-hmm. Because nowadays, you, I think you have movies that either don't acknowledge it or then they try to get the crowd that, loves, that likes, wants to see that kind of stuff and they go overboard with it. This yeah. was just unapologetic and honest. Yeah. Plain and simple. That, that, I couldn't put it in better words, see. Um, so, and again, kind of to tie into this. So uh, a little bit before the film came out, uh, if anyone is on social media on a regular basis, uh, people on film, Twitter, film Reddit, uh, began hearing uh, claims that the film was considered inaccessible to many. Um, I believe there was some reviewers out there who would say, oh, it's really hard to enjoy this film because you basically have to have a PhD in Viking culture to understand it. And so... As, I, as me and C alluded to earlier, this is the earliest examples of a revenge tale. Mm-hmm. Audience members, you have all seen a revenge movie. All of you. Like, if, if you're a person living on Earth, you've seen a revenge tale. You know, okay, this person did, this person committed a, an unspeakable crime against this other person. Uh, the person's going to want to get vengeance and they're going to achieve it. And the, the story will either present it in a good light or a bad light. Mm-hmm. Again, this is a cliche, a trope that has existed since humanity has existed. Since, mm-hmm. since one caveman felt like another caveman took too many uh, pieces of, of woolly mammoth from them. Mm-hmm. This has existed for as long as there's been humans. Um, and 
Robert Eggers, and I've admitted this, Robert Eggers has a reputation of being, of having a lot of abstract and surreal imagery in his films. This was one of the reasons why I wasn't so in love with Lighthouse, because I was like, it's very abstract, and you know, sometimes things feel like they're there just, just to be weird. Now, make no mistake, The Northman has these flares of Robert Eggers, where you're like, this is a little trippy, this is a little out there, but ladies and gentlemen, throughout no part of this film did it overwhelm the story so much that I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. Like this film is one of those few original films that is, that is original, like, like aggressively original knows what it is. Sh shows you an unflinching well, original, original in its direction, not in yeah. its story. Oh well, yeah. 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 That's what I mean. Although the story was probably the original. Well, yeah, as far, <laughs> as, far as we know, it was the first revenge story, but Let's be honest, because we don't know what life was like back then. I'm sure there was another revenge story out there. Probably, we, probably. We don't know, though. The, the point being is that when we live in a world where everyone's always like, oh, there's never anything, there's never a different type of movie in theaters. and then This to hear, is that different kind of movie. This is that different kind of movie. And when you hear people saying like, oh, it's too hard to follow. I, I ask myself, where? Where is it too hard to follow? A guy wants to kill his uncle for taking over his kingdom and, and kidnapping his mom. And along the way, he meets a woman he falls in love with. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not that hard to follow. Are, are there elements of Viking culture that appear that that you might be a little confused about? Sure, yes. But you know what the film does? This is what the film does. It presents to you. Uh, it presents to you. Uh, 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 what's the word I want to say? It presents to you a Viking tradition, right? Or uh, uh, some some sort of formal tradition, right? And you might think to yourself, like, I don't understand what that is. The movie, either by showing to you or by having an offhanded line said somewhere or another, explains to you what this tradition is about. Or and, it grounds this tradition in a very important point in the character's development. Yes. Where you're like, oh, I see what this is. Early on in the film, like I said, and this isn't a spoiler, Omleth goes through a rite of passage because his father wants to set him up to be the new king. Mm-hmm. That scene is very... Uh, it's the weirdest scene in the movie. It's the weirdest scene. I mean, it's really trippy. Like, super, super trippy. And there are images on there that, at first glance, you might be like, that doesn't make sense. But the characters themselves explain what these images represent. And at the end, I thought to myself, this is a rite of passage where, where Amleth has to acknowledge and recognize the kings that came before him. It is not that hard to understand. I, I have... I don't have a PhD, a master's, or even a bachelor's in, in Scandinavian mythology. And we, to be clear, we both have a friend who is knows more about Vikings than most people combined. Yeah, but we were able to understand that this film was very easy to follow. Yeah. This film, this never was I like scratching my head over like, what am I saying? I don't understand. This, again, and listen, part of this review is for us to explain why we like the movie, why we disliked. We're not necessarily here to like, push you to see something that you might be like, oh, they liked it, but it might not be my thing. But if the only thing holding you back from this film is the fact that you hear people say like, oh, it's really hard to follow. Trust me, it is not. This is a film that you will be able to understand. You will have fun. The layman can watch this and be like, oh, I get what this movie's about. Absolutely. Like, I kept waiting for the moment where I was going to get lost because we had talked about these reviews amongst ourselves earlier. Actually, on the drive to the theater, we were like, oh, man, is this going to be really out of reach? Are we going to struggle to see what's going on? 
and I kept waiting for that moment like three times. And then by the time the first act ended, I was like, okay, that's bullshit. It's not happening. I'm going to just sit back and take it. Yeah, yeah. Again, we are <laughs> we are not the smartest people in the world. In the room. We're, in the room. No, we're not. In the we're really let me be clear we're two we're both in separate rooms right now we're by ourselves in each room we're still not the smartest people in that room <laughs> yeah no this movie is very accessible obviously obviously if if blood like, and don't, gore okay i'll be clear don't bring your kids to this if, oh, yeah yeah don't do no, that we're not we're not saying it's that kind of accessible no yeah but, yeah, yeah. But if you're an adult who is like a little like worn out by all the superhero movies and they want to see something that is engaging, captivating, visually stunning and worth the price of seeing it on a big screen, The Northman. The North I, I truly believe that. Now, now that that's out of the way, let, let's keep talking about the other other characters. So yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy plays uh, Omelette's uh, co-conspirator and eventual love interest, uh, Olga of the Birch Forest. She is a resident of the of the Slavic village that got conquered by the Vikings in the first act of the film. By the Berserker Vikings. By the Berserker Vikings. And her whole arc is trying to find a way to escape slavery and survive on her own terms. And she kind of piggybacks off Amleth's quest of wanting revenge against his uncle, Fjordnir, uh, as a because, you know, this guy's almost seven feet tall, built built like a built, built like, like a truck, built no, like no, a no. truck. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, you should hit your horse to that guy. No, this person is a horse. <laughs> exactly. So so she's smart enough to be like, I'm going to put my eggs in your basket because I think you're the best. Helping you with your revenge is the best way for me to leave. But in that time, she genuinely falls in love with him. She genuinely falls in love with him. And she she Anya Taylor-Joy's performance is is the conduit to which Alexander Skarsgård can go into the softer elements of Amleth. And the the relationship is just portrayed so well because be, when he's not with Olga, Amleth is just always at a 10 of like, oh, I want to revenge, revenge, like just anger all the time. Like it's even when he's quiet, you just see the anger irradiating from him. But mm -hmm. when he's with Olga, the softness, because because uh, the first well, what's actually first... interesting is when he's with Olga, he he actually Skarsgård does this amazing thing where he acts confused because he's confused by this nice feeling he's having. Exactly. That he hasn't experienced in years. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And um, no, she you know, I know a lot of people sometimes diminish the, the role of the love interest in a lot of films. Uh, but no, this one, you know, th this this character of Olga is a fully realized character. You know, she has her own wants and needs that aren't necessarily uh, connected with Amleth. Also, and for the record, sorry, Anya Taylor-Joy knows how to pick a movie to be in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, totally. Um, you know, she went from being like this teenage actress wonderkin to now like probably one of the better actresses in her generation. And yeah. I'm not saying she's the best, but she's up she's, there. She's, she's very she, good. She's climbing up the ladder really well. And I'm, oh, I'm very, I'm very happy for her. You know, sometimes, sometimes there comes this, this unfortunate scenario where you're trapped only doing a certain type of film, but Anya Taylor joy has such variety in the role she picks up that mm -hmm. I'm always excited over what Both she, in what the movies she, and TV shows she's done. Yeah, I'm always excited to see her when when I when she's in something. I always know like, oh, that's probably going to be an interesting watch. Mm -hmm. uh, Ethan Hawke as Amleth's father isn't in the movie a lot. 
his primary purpose is to help Amleth go through his rite of passage. And listen, Ethan Hawke, he went from a 90s heartthrob to kind of disappearing from Hollywood for a bit and just being in indie stuff. And now he's just reveling in being like this character actor who chooses these weird kind of out there roles. Well, he also recently directed a film. People forget that. Really? A, yeah. It, and it's actually pretty good. It's, um, I forget the guy's name, but it's about a country star who was very, who was really on the rise. And then he died very suddenly. Wow. What was that movie called? But he directed it and it is, again, it's not a perfect film, but it's, it's a, it's better than what you normally see when an actor tries to direct. Anyways, yeah. we'll get into that another time. So, so Ethan Hawke, like, brings such a enthusiasm because again the rite of passage scene in the first like five minutes of the film it's very out there it's very surreal it's very uh hallucinogenic and ethan hawk while still being grounded of being a very proud king just goes to these crazy physical movements and performances and acting choices that you think oh this is gonna realm into this is gonna go into like parody or just like or just be weirdly funny in a bad way but it works it works and you really feel like oh oh shit i'm i'm seeing i'm seeing the this the descendants or not the the forefathers of amleth and in the tree of kings and it's it's a it's a powerful scene even though like and this is weird as shit but it's powerful it's weird as shit there's burping and farting like a lot that's right i forgot that and barking but it works. It fucking works. And, and that that's credit to Ethan Hawke and Willem Dafoe, who's also part of this scene. Their, their ability as actors to ground a performance, no matter how weird, no matter how out there, with with sincerity, with with purpose. It, it's, it, again, e- Ethan Hawke, you know, when he's in stuff, I always know, like, okay, at least he's going to give it 110%. So... Am I the only one... So, by the way, let's also mention that in that scene... Willem Dafoe is the driving performance in that whole sequence because my God, he does a great job. Am I the only one? So, okay. I got a very interesting vibe from his, because he's, Willem Dafoe's not in it for very long. It's 10 minutes, if that, combined. Am I the only one that got a John the Baptist vibe from his performance? Or is that just truly me? I, I got, how would I say? I got a more Merlin vibe from it myself. Okay, maybe, well, Mer, well, it depends which version of Merlin we're talking about. But the reason why I say John the Baptist is in my hometown, there's this um, sculpture, there's this outdoor sculpture park that you can go to. And one of the ones that's been around for years is this very interesting deconstructed iron statue of John the Baptist. And he's like got all these holes and like, he's like, but he's like sort of ranting and raving and screaming to the sky. He's not moving, obviously, but it's just him looking up and yelling with his, with a book in his hand. And it just betrays John the Baptist in kind of a, I don't want to say fanatic, but genuinely a, let's call him a tr- a true believer. And in fact, I think, I think the statue is called True Believer, and it's basically suggesting that he was the first true believer in Christ, which again, I'm... My knowledge of religion is. Let's not get into that. I don't I, have a lot of knowledge. I, I don't. I don't necessarily know if he was channeling something like that. For me, it felt more like he was. He was kind of portraying himself as like a male version of Andromeda. Okay, know? I can you know, see that. That's more. kind of what I was thinking. Sure. Now, um, 
uh, also in this film, Nicole Kidman. She plays Amleth's mother, Queen Gudrun, which mm-hmm. like again shows you that she's the she's the direct connection to Gertrude. Mm-hmm. And and like full disclosure, I think Nicole Kidman would make a great Gertrude in any mm-hmm. production of Hamlet. So oh yes. So people, please, please give her pe- give her agents a call. She she would mm-hmm. make an amazing Gertrude. Um, her role is very is very deceptive in the sense that you think to yourself like oh it's going to be very one note but it has so many layers to it and by the time the film actually ends, it's her role really develops into this sad flower and it's really amazing to see no it really is like again it just shows you why nicole Kidman is one of the the top actresses of her generation and did you win an oscar for uh the hours yes that's what she won for for virginia wolf right yes Okay, so so yeah, yeah, her acting ability warrants her having won an Academy Award all those years mm-hmm. ago. She's again, there's so many layers to the performances. You like, this is a film I'd be interested to do a rewatch because I'd love to see like her interactions with Ethan Hawke. They only have really have one scene together. I also have to. I'm so sorry. One more thing, mm-hmm. is it? Actually, no. Finish what you were saying, and then I'll say what I was going to say. Basically, there's so many layers to her interactions that this it kind of demands that you see the movie again, just because I'm like curious. Okay, what can I notice from her one only scene with uh, Ethan Hawke? What can I notice from when she is with uh, Fleurnier, uh, Amlet's uncle? I just I just did that while watching the trailer, and you do see some interesting things in her performance. Ooh. I recommend uh, Al that after this, watch the trailer again knowing what you know and you actually she, there's something in her eyes and you see wow it. okay definitely yeah definitely going to be doing also that, so. let me also add that remember in the opening scene when the when when uh amlet as a boy goes to her mother's chambers and she's like always not like she's very angry at him she's like always knock before you come into my chambers and you realize for a split second she was doing something a little unusual we, we don't know what it is but she was definitely hiding something mm. like so something was hidden there that he almost saw. If mm-hmm. I were to guess, so here's the thing. If you noticed, her her maids were dressing her, right? Yeah. Why was she naked? Mm, okay, don't answer, okay. Don't yeah, answer yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 no, I totally get it. I totally but, and get it. Then, right. Why would then she be mad? Anyways, yeah. Yeah, we'll yeah get okay. That way. So yeah. We'll, 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 yeah. That, you got to see the movie for that. You got you to gotta see the movie for that. All right, so the antagonist. The person Amleth wants to kill, his uncle, Fionir the Brotherless, played by Clay's Bang. Now, I've seen The Square. I never saw Netflix's Dracula, but I saw The Square and I thought, oh, this guy's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays Ethan Hawke's brother. He plays uh, Nicole Kidman's second husband. Uh, so before he usurps the throne, he himself has a bastard child named Thor or the proud played by actor Gustav Lindt, which I believe was in a movie I really liked called uh, heroes of justice. Mm. And, um, and then like with, with the queen Grudrun, he has a, he has a son, Amleth's brother, uh, Gunner. But anyway, so in the film, and this is not a spoiler. So at the, at like the, almost at the end of the first act, we find out that, Fleurnir, although he usurped the throne, he lost it himself. So now he's trying to create a, like a new tribe in Iceland. Uh, Claesbang, he could have easily played this as like, oh, I'm just, I'm just the 
evil brother. Like, as we've seen many times before, he could have played, you know, basically the scar archetype, the, mm. the evil brother of the good king who is like just a terrible ruler. You know, it's very, very, that's very one dimensional. And to be frank, from what I understand in the, in the ancient uh, story, he, he's pretty one dimensional in the ancient mm. story, which it's expected. Mm. But no, this, this guy has layers to his performance. He, he's playing a guy who did something that he doesn't regret, but it weighs on him. Mm. And, you know, he lost his kingdom and he's trying to set himself up to be a good king and trying to let make his sons be good kings to their tiny little tribe, you know. Mm. And, and the movie shows him as a very pious religious man. He has, he has his, you know, he has his Nordic god that he prays to. And, you know, he, he's a good religious man. He does the sacrifices that need to be made. He does the offerings that need to be made. And at one point in time, when he's like so overwhelmed with all the bad things Amleth is doing to him, not knowing that it's Amleth doing it to him, he he cries out to his god, why is this happening? What have I done to you? Right. So mm -hmm. so again, in an alternative version, the, he's the good guy. That's what's weird. Yeah. From a different perspective, he's the good guy. Mm -hmm. And again with villain roles especially when when there's just so many other things for a director to focus on it becomes very easy to just kind of be like and the villain's the villain mm -hmm. but robert eggers doesn't do that here he fully de I, I would even argue that fleordnir is the second most developed character after amleth mm -hmm. you know and eventually the climax is them facing off against each other and claire's bang gives as he gets from Alexander Skarsgård in that fight. It is... Oh, that fight is... And I'm sorry if... It, well, okay. Warning at this moment. This is a touch of a spoiler as far as what visuals you're going to see. But that final battle is like a better version of the final Revenge of the Sith battle. And that's all I'll say. Something to, something to mention that Robert Eggers, you know, during press has talked about the films that have influenced this film. Uh, one was like an old Danish Viking film and the other was Conan the Barbarian. And you definitely see shades of Conan the Barbarian here, which is a great John Milius movies for those who haven't watched it. Mm -hmm. Hasn't he also said that Seventh Seal is like one of his favorite movies? Um, possibly, but I, I don't think he's referenced Seventh Seal as an influence on this film. Okay. But outside of those two films, in, in, in fact, let me let me see what's that second what's that Danish film he uh, he was referencing. Da, 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 da. Um, I love how like the day after it releases, it gets so many trivia things added to it. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's one of the downsides when you want to see like the trivia for this. Um, da, 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 da. A lot to go through. Yeah, it, it's a lot. I, I, I'm not going to be. Oh, I found it. Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't a Danish film. So the inspiration of this film is Andre Rublev meets Conan ah, the Barbarian. There we go. OK, that makes sense. Because have you seen Andre Rublev? I've seen bits and pieces. OK. There is, so Andrei Rublev, for those who don't know, is directed by, uh, let's call him the Russian version of Stanley Kubrick. Oh, I can, I can, I'll try to pronounce his name. Give me one second. Uh, oh, Tarkovsky. Oh, yeah, Tarkovsky. Tarkovsky. 
People, there are, there is a cult of Tartofsky out there. Let's be clear. And it's among cinephiles who praise him as a god. I don't view him as a god, but he's definitely very talented with what resources he was given. Andrei Rubilev is this nearly four-hour epic about a famous artist named Andrei Rubilev who built some incredibly remarkable um, paint, uh, murals in certain famous churches. He's considered like one of the one of Russia's great artists, uh, specifically pertaining to religious art. And it's also famous because at the time, the Tsar of Russia had him executed. And it's considered this great artistic crime that he was killed. Point being, this movie is very Christian, but also very pagan at the same time. So there's a sequence that's where they come across some interesting pagans in the movie. And I see exactly where he got that inspiration from. Mm, yes. So outside of those two films, I definitely see inspiration. And, you know, I don't know if he'll ever admit too much, but ladies and gentlemen, there is obviously some inspiration from Skyrim in this movie. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to say what, we're not going to say how, but there's there's going to be there's going to be a moment in the film where you're like, this that's is a Skyrim sc- fight. That's that's Skyrim. That's Skyrim. And yeah, um and outside of Skyrim, we also have uh um uh Lord of the Rings is one very obvious bit. one. Return of the Sith, like C has mentioned. Like yeah. Revenge of the, the Sith. Oh, Revenge of the Sith. Thank you. Um you know, uh, Return of the Jedi used to be called uh, Return of the Sith, but then George Lucas oh, changed it. Yeah, well, there you a bit, go. bit of trivia. Um, no, there are so many things that you can totally see where where uh, um, Eggers got inspiration from, and it, it all works. It, this is such a cohesive movie. You know, it's very usually in movies like this, with this type of scale, with this type of grandeur, you know, and like this type of kind of aesthetic there's always going to be something that falters you don't really see that in this movie you know there are some elements that maybe you dig more than others but there's never anything where i was like oh that wasn't very well done like Mm. this the score oh my god the score oh Mm -hmm. uh, who who i i i it was a it was a heart uh, it made your heart beat oh yeah it made it made your heart beat and it kind of made you want to go into berserker mode as well a little bit um, let me see. I, I want to say this was, this was... On a total side note, our theater was packed, by the way, when yeah. seeing this movie. Yeah, especially when people were saying that this wasn't going to be a big hit. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not claiming that it's going to be a big hit, but it's... It was packed. One, yeah, it was On a packed. Thursday night. Um, oh, wow. Uh, the composers are a couple of people I've, I've never really heard of before. Sebastian Gainsborough and Robin Carolyn. Okay. I've never really, really heard of these people. Like Sebastian Gainsborough seems to have only done uh, TV shows. Oh, he did The Handmaiden. Oh, no, no, he didn't. No, no, he did the trailer for The Handmaiden. So these are Uh, two new guys on the scene. Huh. Mm, Interesting. Good for them. Yeah, really good for them because the score was amazing. So if if, if, if I may... Uh, take the reins for a second if that's okay sure go ahead before we get into our official rating for this movie for each of us I want to add a fun little note about what it's like to do this podcast so Al and I end up going to see a movie once or twice a week at this point was that fair to say yeah okay 
So after doing that for how many movies now as of this moment? Uh, seven. Seven. Now seven movies. Well, let's just say for almost, for all of them, we saw the same trailers in the same order in the same way at the same time. <laughs> or not at the same time. But literally, like it'd be like, and now we're going to watch Top Gun Maverick. And now we're going to watch The Bad Guys. Now that one's kind of gone, but it was around for a while. Or And now we're going to watch, let's see, um, what was the other one? Oh, uh, the Elva, Elvis. Which, yeah. listen, we're going to review Elvis. We're going to review it. But I think we've seen that trailer like five times. Yes. So it's just like we know the beats of these trailers. And... I'll just say this, because The Northman was more independent, we saw different trailers. And when I say, like, what a carnival cruise that was to just see something visually different for the trailers, like, it just put me in a better mood for this movie overall. So I'll just admit that initial bias. I was just like, oh, thank God, it's not the same fucking trailers. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Also, it it just it just helps that the what also makes makes the movie such a, a a refreshing change of pace for me is that it gets into its story as fast as possible, right? Yeah. You know, a lot of times, like with films of this scale, you know, they they want to give you some character moments before they jump into the plot, but they're able to incorporate character moments into the fast, relatively fast paced plot so well that you know we could never take our eyes off the screen. There's never a moment, even when there's not like brutal Viking fights or, or, or crazy hallucinogenic images happening. There's always something compelling on the screen that keeps you watching. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that's credit to uh, the, the cinematography of the film. Uh, the cinematographer of the Northman was uh, Jaron Blasky. Uh, he seems to have been the DP for the witch and for the lighthouse. Okay. So he's, he's developed quite a re- quite a uh, reel working with the working yeah, with Roger, Robert Eggers. Yeah, Truly. Yeah. It seems like as of right now he's done mostly shorts up until uh the witch. This mm-hmm. this guy's this guy's going to be going places. Oh yeah. Um, Without a doubt. Um, people people really need to hire him for for stuff. People need to hire Eggers for stuff. Like yeah. dear lord. Yeah, no kidding. Although wait, wait, no no. I think for for both uh, the Lighthouse and for the Northmen, he had worked with some modest production companies. To be mm-hmm. fair, he was given some money. Hmm. Okay, but not okay. a lot. Okay, so yeah, see, uh, do you want to give your review, or yes. is there any anything else you want to talk about before you give your review? Um, I'll say it in my review. Okay, so, go ahead, please, please. Uh, Floor is yours. On our scale, I have to say, this movie. Fucks. It absolutely fucks. Its weakness, which I think the reviews that we don't necessarily agree with are kind of picking up on, is that it's not for everybody. It is very violent. It is a story of revenge, and it goes very in-depth, not so much in Viking lore, but actually in just being a historical epic. It's just, it's very much that. So while I said earlier that this movie is unapologetic, its one weakness is that it just, it's not for everybody. But for those of you that have an inkling of interest in any aspect of this movie, whether it's revenge, historic epic, Vikings, hell, even any of the actors that are in it, this movie 
will will in will be good for you but for me it undoubtedly fucked because not it not only took a small budget and did an incredible amount with it but truly had some shocks some shots sorry that made me gasp in how or if not shots scenes too that made me gasp in what they achieved so for that alone and for just what it was this movie fucks Uh, i'm right there with you see i will say that i i'm not a I'm not a super fan of the sword and sandal type movie. There was a point in time where I really liked them, but it was never really my thing. That being said, that being said, this movie is a grand royal flush. Like just just half a step below fucks. It's it's a movie you have to see in theaters. The the me- Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, you This is a movie you should see in theaters. And let me be clear, because it's not in as many theaters, we're not we're not being like we're not we understand that it may be more difficult for someone to go see this in theaters because of that. Try if you can, because it is worth seeing in theaters. Oh, absolutely. It's the visuals merit watching this on a big, big screen. The sound design is excellent. The music gets your heart pounding, right? And you know, for the ladies, hey, a giant Alexander Skarsgård shirtless most of the time, I, I think I think you'll enjoy it. He's naked a couple times. He is. Um, this film has, this film does such, such a great, it, it honors the Scandinavian mythology so well, you know, something we barely touched on, but it's something that I feel like should be mentioned is that, again, this is an adaptation of an ancient Danish legend. Uh, that usually means that there's mythological aspects involved in the story. And the way this movie handles the mythological aspects of the story is so well done and so clever that there are there are multiple interpretations of what you see and all are valid. And that's the sign of an amazing, an amazing film. Um, it didn't it. This film wasn't overhyped for me, which is a good thing, because I feel like if it was, I'd be a little disappointed. I did not leave disappointed. I said, I said to myself, and I remember saying to see, this is an amazing film. This is such an accessible film for those who are, yeah. you know, complain, complaining that you, you don't need a PhD in no. Viking lore to understand this movie. None of us have, we, neither of us have PhDs. And we, though I know some of Viking, of Viking lore, a decent amount, Al really doesn't know much. And there was, Al, was there ever a moment where you're, where you were genuinely confused by either the cultural aspect or the story aspect. No, none whatsoever. This again, a grand royal flush for this movie. Um, if 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 you're hungering for something different, right? You're like, uh, I don't want to just go see another another kind of turn off your brain blockbuster. This is the movie for you. And like C talked about, uh, it's not playing in as many screens, but it is out there. AMC and Regal are playing it. Please go see it. Yeah, I think you won't regret it. You know. Um, is this is this a perfect date movie? Eh, probably not. But no. This is, th- th- this is definitely a movie you're like you go with your friends and you say, "Do you want to see something just awesome, heavy metal as fuck?" And you're mm-hmm. unrepentant of what it is. Yeah, then go see this. You want to see? Uh, listen, I'll say this. Do you want to see three hundred but with Vikings? This is the closest you're gonna Ooh. get. No, th- this is three hundred with the Vikings, but uh, but it's just a much. I don't want to say more well directed. But kind of, sorta. Well, it's more, 
It's um, it's more introspective, the, and it has something to say. The movie's tighter. The movie's tighter, and it has something to say, which... I, listen, listen. I, I think Zack Snyder is a great visualist. I don't necessarily think 300 had anything to say, but but this film does. This film yeah. has a lot to say about vi- vengeance and the nature of vengeance, mm-hmm. the nature of hate. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it has a lot to say about like about like what what is your fate? You know, mm-hmm. vengeance, fate, and love. Yeah. This, also, if you're a hockey fan, you'll enjoy this movie, and we will not say why. Oh yeah, yeah. If if you're a hockey fan, if you're like a hockey guy from Minnesota, you're gonna you're gonna love this movie. And for those of you confused, that's just a reason to go see it. Exactly. All right. So that's pretty much it for this review. I'm Al. I'm C. Till next time. Take care. Good night, everybody.